Good morning, church. What a privilege it is to be standing here today. I so would have loved to see in all of your smiling faces, well, at least the top half of them this morning. But it also gives me so much joy just to imagine how we are all gathered all around the city of Durban, just stopping, pausing life for this collective moment to just listen to the word and to worship together. I'm sure you were all expecting to see a lot more of Grimes' face on your screens today, or maybe you were hoping for a little bit more baby August time. And although I'm not quite as cute as she is, I'm still super pumped to just be able to stand here today and to talk to you about another topic in the How You Pray series. So if you've been following this series, you'll know that we've spoken about the Lord's Prayer, and we've also heard about how to seek and know God better through prayer. Today we are shifting gears a little bit and we are looking at praying outwards or praying for others. Another word for this is intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer, if you haven't heard this word before, don't worry, it's not like we use it very often, but it basically means the action of intervening on the behalf of someone else. And I love this type of description because I think if we look at it as intercessory prayer, it means praying on the behalf of someone else which is so much more than just praying for someone or talking about someone. It really gives us this idea of you coming alongside someone, standing besides them before God in the throne room and bringing them in front of God, bringing their knees to God when they themselves can't do it. This is such a cool topic. I'm so excited I get to talk about it because this is awesome God-ordained ministry. And I think one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it is that I have seen the power of it in my own life, both as a prayer and as a prayer. I can't even count how many people have probably prayed for me <laughs> over the course of my life. But it was a particularly tough time in my life. Um, this was when I was just finishing my trick when I was about 18 years old. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And... In that time, I probably spent about the next five years just going to doctors, getting blood tests done, trying to finish my trick, start varsity, and my condition also meant that I was just really tired and had very low energy and fatigue. And so even prayer became such a task. I was sick for probably about five years, and in, those, in that five years period, every time on a Sunday, if they asked who wants to come for prayer, I put my hand up, go to the front, and probably read every scripture on healing that is in the Bible. And after a while, to be honest, I just got tired. I just couldn't. I just didn't have any words anymore. So I just decided one day I'm going to stop praying for myself for healing. But the wonderful thing is I have such an incredible family who kept on praying. I wonder how many prayers my mom and my sister and the rest of my family probably made on my behalf. They probably don't even, haven't even told me how much. And you might even be surprised now if you look at me and as you know me today, I don't often talk about this because it just feels like another lifetime because now I'm happy and I'm healthy and I'm healed. And I really feel like I can stand here today and say that it's because of the prayers of my family and the fact that they interceded on my behalf when I just couldn't anymore. This is just such an epic thing that you can be a part of. And the truth is, it's not just for a specific type of people group or a special calling. It's This is available to all of us, this type of ministry. And intercession or praying for others is not a man-made idea. It really is biblical. And we have Jesus as the perfect example of it. So recently, you'll remember we heard about 
how Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer. Today I want us to look a little bit further down in Luke 11, starting at verse 5, and just read about a really intriguing parable on intercessory prayer that Jesus tells. So Luke 11 verses 5 to 13. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is such a wonderful piece of scripture and there's so much we can take out of this parable. I was recently reminded of this parable while on a hiking trip. It was over New Year's Eve and a group of us were planning this five hour hike up to this cave and we we're going to spend the night there for New Year's Eve. In the morning as we're getting ready to go, one of our friends, Alex, he realizes he's forgotten probably the most important thing you need for hiking, which is his hiking boots. <laughs> Shame. He was so sad because now we're trying to decide, is he now going to stay back at camp, which means New Year's Eve on your own, or is he going to attempt to do it in his flops or barefoot, and we're trying to figure out a plan. When this little girl, she's probably about four years old, she comes up to us and says, my daddy has shoes for you. And obviously we're thinking, oh, thanks my girl, but your dad probably won't just give a stranger his shoes. So thank you, but no thanks. She goes off and she comes back a few minutes later and says, I asked him and he said, yes, come with me, I'll show you. So Alex, surprised, goes with her, this little girl, and go, comes back, face beaming, these amazing, expensive hiking shoes. And the dad basically just said, here you go, take them, bring them back tomorrow. And they were exactly in my friend's size. It was just so cool. So he could join the trip with us. And as we started to hike, I was just thinking, wow, this little girl had so much faith in her dad. <laughs> she knew First of all, my dad has the goods that we need. He's going to be able to help this guy. And I know that I can go ask him. And then I realized this girl and this friend in the parable actually have a lot in common. And I think that they can both teach us a lot about intercessory prayer. So I thought today we would look at these two stories and see what can we learn from them? What can Jesus teach us in this parable about intercessory prayer? So the first thing I want to bring up is that there was, in both of these stories, an urgent need. So before we can pray for someone, we've got to recognize that they need it, right? That there is some sort of need. So this little girl realized the need that Alex needed shoes. And in the parable, we, hear, we have this friend who gets a knock on the door. He has a friend who's come on this long journey, has no food. I'm assuming he probably wasn't on his own tired, hungry, thirsty, how you don't know how many days he's been traveling. He's desperate for some help, some shelter and a meal. So in both of these situations, we have a need. 
And I think this is really important. I think that we live in a time where escapism, trying to numb ourselves, is very common. And it's actually good for us to recognize and be aware of the needs around us. Because the truth is, we have health concerns, we have financial concerns, people are in relational troubles. And also, there are millions of people every day who are not getting a chance to hear the salvation message. The world is actually perishing. I know this maybe sounds harsh, but every single day there are rich people who aren't hearing the saving message of Jesus Christ. There are poor and vulnerable people who aren't getting to hear the comforting message of the gospel. And this is serious stuff. Maybe this is bumming you out a little bit. Maybe this is not what you want to hear. But you know what? It's good. <laughs> we mustn't ignore the needs around us. Because our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, they are in some serious need. And recognizing this need puts some much needed urgency into our prayer life. Because surely when we look around us, we are driven to some sort of action. Which is our second point. The second part of intercession is that there is always a loving response, a loving action. Because once we recognize the severity of the need, the Spirit does something amazing in us. It moves us to show compassion. If you think about this friend, he had compassion. He heard his friend coming to him at night and he let him in. He, you know, he had to give up his coveted eight hours of sleep. It was an inconvenience to him that his friend was coming on this journey in the middle of the night, but he still brought him in. And I think that is such a Jesus-like response. Jesus is so compassionate and so tender. One of the times that I always find so intriguing about Jesus is actually in Matthew 14. This is a moment when John the Baptist has just been beheaded and says in the word that Jesus wants to take himself away from the crowd. He wants to be alone, seclude himself. Maybe he wants to process, spend some time with God. And, but a large crowd starts following him. So what does Jesus do? This is kind of inconveniencing him, but he, it says in verse 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd and he had compassion on them and then he healed their sick. He then realizes these people have been following me for a long time, they must be hungry. And then he does that miraculous feeding. Such a good example how love will push us to show some sort of action. And then when we pray out of love, it's not that we're praying out of juicy, but we're praying for that person because we genuinely care for their well-being. True love, in fact, has to pray. I need to be honest with you now. The, the first two parts of this, recognizing a need and showing compassion, I sometimes feel like I get those two. I've got those two down. I often get so distraught about the need around me, working as a health professional and seeing people with struggles every day. And I read the news and I get devastated about the needs around me, very much aware of them. And I can feel compassion to them. When my friends come with trouble, I want to do everything I can to help them and make it right. But my problem is, even though those two steps are good, it results in me having anxiety and I just get worried and I must fix it and it's actually such a lack of faith and and what happens when I do that when I don't go to straight to praying for them when I go to trying to fix them out of my own power 
I'm almost like that little girl who's now taking off her shoes with like little tiny shoes with bows on them and trying to give them to this grown man saying here's some hiking shoes. It's not going to be helpful for him. I'm just trying to help him out of my own power. But I can learn from this little girl. What did she do? She knew she doesn't have the stuff to help him. She went to her dad. Her dad has enough to help this person and she went and asked him. And I think that's really important. We shouldn't just stop at seeing a need, being upset about it. But in fact, the next step is we actually need to pray. And, and intercession actually requires us realizing how helpless we are. It's actually good for us to realize my shoes are not going to fit this person. I don't have what, it, what they need. So our inability will actually be the strength to our prayer, to our intercession, because we will be so dependent on God. You could have all the love and the knowledge and the degrees and the capacity to help someone, but the truth is you can never give the bread of life. Only God can do that. So intercession really is our only hope at helping someone. And I think it's important that we realize that. Just like that little girl, she knew who to ask. And just like the neighbor in our parable or the friend in our parable, he realized, I don't have bread. I can't help this person. I'm going to still take him in. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to my rich friend next door. He's got the goods. He's got what I need. And I'm going to go ask him. So the next time when a situation comes your way and you feel completely helpless, get pumped. <laughs> because now you can actually do something about it. You can pray. I think if we still hold into this idea that maybe we can fix it, we're just standing in the way of this person actually getting help. If we realize I'm actually completely helpless, I can do nothing to help them, I'm just going to have to pray. <laughs> That's actually exciting. That's where you want to be. Now you can really start praying. And now that we're starting to pray, what do we need next? What led this friend to go knock on his neighbor's door is that he really believed that his neighbor was going to answer him, that his neighbor was going to say yes. This little girl, she knew her dad was going to say yes. She had no doubt about it. Effective prayer requires faith. Belief that your prayers will be answered. Sounds easy enough, but how do we actually get faith? I think that the answer is that both of these people were using in our stories, they intimately knew the person that they were asking help from. When the friend knocks on the neighbor's door, I can imagine it wasn't the first time. He was not introducing himself. Like, Hello, I'm your neighbor. They probably knew each other. I imagine there was a wall and the kids used to jump over it and play with each other every afternoon. They knew each other. They were neighbors. So when he went over, he knew. I have faith that my friend will answer because I know him and he knows me. If we look at great intercessors like Moses or Abraham, they have this whole history of a relationship with God beforehand, don't they? Or even if we look at Paul, in his conversion um, on the road to Damascus in Acts, we hear about him, you know, he meets Jesus for the first time. And then there's quite a few chapters where we don't read anything about Paul. And I can only imagine that in that time, what was he doing? He was just getting to know this person who called him. He was just spending time getting to know his savior. And I think just like we are the branch and the vine, if we are intimately linked with God, our faith will be so strengthened because we will understand him. We will know that God's character is to give all. And then we also know his character is to require all from us. And it's like a 
an overflow of what we believe in him and what we experience in him. The soul that seeks not only the answer, but also the God who answers, will receive the ability to ask for it all. What also builds faith, I think, is that we can know that God actually makes the first move. Matthew Henry said, When God intends great mercy for his people, he sets them a-praying. Indeed, when God wants anything accomplished in his kingdom, he moves men to pray. God is always the initiator. All effectual prayer is moving in the heart of God before it began to move in the heart of man. If you think about it, what is God's character? What is his heart for the world? He wants to see the world healed. He wants reconciliation. He wants unity. He wants peace. He wants his kingdom to come on earth. So therefore, if you are praying for those things, for relational disunity or for healing, you can know that God wants those things even more than you do. If you're praying, trusting for someone's salvation, God also wants that actually even more than you do. So you can approach him with confidence and know that he wants to give good things to us. So I think we're on track. We know that intercession, we need some sort of need needs to be recognized. Compassion needs to be shown. We need to recognize our dependency on God and we need a whole lot of faith. Think, cool, we're on track, right? Parable running smoothly through it. And then the parable takes an unexpected twist. The neighbor says, no. Why would Jesus add this into the parable, right? You have to wonder. But all I know is that if Jesus is bringing it up, it must be important. It, and it surely has to be an aspect of prayer that Jesus knew was going to come up. Unanswered prayer or long-suffering in prayer is a concept that Jesus was almost warning us about or telling us about in this parable. So it has to be an inevitable phenomenon within prayer. But what is Jesus actually saying here? What he's doing is he's celebrating this friend. He is honoring the friend's importunity, his perseverance. The NIV says shameless audacity. I think it's also important for us to think about what is the passage not saying here. What it's not saying is that we have to somehow wear God down or we have to convince him to do good because he doesn't want to. We know that's not true because we know God's character. He wants to do good. And so therefore importunity or this perseverance having to ask again and again to keep knocking, it has to serve some sort of higher power or higher purpose. I think it's important when we think about this to remember that God doesn't function like an ATM where you just go in and you receive, ask and you receive like that. God's main focus for us and him is for relationship, just like Grant covered last week. Prayer is also meant for us to just be in communion with God. I think he's a lot more like a father. Of course, a good father wants his child to be financially secure and healthy. But he doesn't want that in isolation of relationship with him. He wants to have a relationship with his son or with his daughter. And so I love how God has designed prayer. Because the longer you spend praying for someone else, you're also spending longer with God. So you personally will be growing, which I think is quite amazing. Sometimes God might also wait to answer prayer until a time where it's so obvious that it can only be God who answered it. And it's not by our own strength or our own ingenuity. 
Timing is actually a very loving response from God. It's another example of how much he loves us when answering prayer. God chooses to answer our prayers at a time that will have the best result. Because I think he loves us too much to give us a good thing, but at a bad time. If I think back to my own testimony or my own story of prayer, if, if I had been sick for a month and then, you know, the doctors gave me something and I'd been healed, I would have thought, wow, medicine's amazing, cool, you know, and I probably would, maybe wouldn't have given God as much glory. Where? Because it took five years of praying and spending time with God and I learned so much in that time. I can stand here confident knowing I really know it was God who answered because the doctors didn't know anymore what to do. They were just upping my dosage. But I know it was God. And so I th actually think the length of time built my faith a lot more than what it would have if he had answered at a different time. I think in my own life, what I've noticed is that sometimes the times when I'm lacking perseverance in prayer are actually the times when I'm also lacking faith that God is going to answer. I think if we truly believe that God will answer us, we won't have that thinking of, well, I've tried everything else, you know, let me try pray about it as well, or I've run out of other ideas, or let's just see if prayer works, if not, you know, we'll go to something else. I think that is not actually a faith-filled attitude towards prayer. I think that God wants us to pray like it's our only option. There's no plan B. And that we will believe in its effectiveness to such an extent that we will turn nowhere else. Convinced that he'll eventually say yes, or he'll give us something better. And the truth is, God does sometimes say no. Not because he's mean, and not because we didn't pray hard enough. God will never forsake us, and he will give us good things. And I think this is why he sometimes says no. Sometimes our prayers are misguided. In this case, he can't simply, or he won't simply comply to our wishes, but he'll kindly give us the best instead. God gives us either what we ask for, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. So when we are looking at this parable and the story of this girl, I think what we can see in both of them as well is that this friend, the one who does the knocking, is so blessed as well because he gets to just kind of be the middleman and he has a need, he has access to a solution and he kind of puts them together and he gets to celebrate and enjoy the generosity. And this little girl, she probably was so excited that she got to help a friend like or help a stranger rather. And I think that's what's so amazing about intercession and what I really love about it. It is such a win-win. Because <laughs> the truth is, God can do it without us, right? But he doesn't want to. How awesome it is that he invites us into the story. He puts in place this ministry of intercession so that we can be a part of it. So we get to say, you know, I was there, I was part of it. When our friends are healed or provided for, can say, God used me. And it just builds up our faith. Because he invites us into the story. He wants to involve us. And he wants to share his generosity with us. Because he loves that. He loves to delight in us and, and feast with us. Over last Christmas, I had a privilege of being part of one of these answers to prayer. I was um, back home and we were doing a worship service for Christmas Eve. And 
at the day before we were practicing for it and while everyone was tuning their instruments this lady who was sitting next to me we were just kind of sharing about our lives and she was sharing about the one thing that she really wanted for Christmas was for her family to attend church she had invited them but she didn't know if they would come she explained to me that they had been estranged for quite a long time now and she didn't think that they would come it kind of seemed impossible and later that afternoon she messaged me and said she really feels like if I pray that they might come. And I thought, well, okay, do I have faith for this? Can I pray for this? She's going to be so disappointed. But then I realized, you know what? I'm just going to pray. So I took maybe 15, 20 minutes, just said a prayer about it, just committed that before God. I, basically what I did, I went knocking on my friend's door because there's no way I could have gotten them to church. It seemed impossible. And so Christmas Eve comes uh, we're there setting up our instruments. Each person that walks through the door, we're kind of like, oh, is that them? No, no, it's not them, it's not them. Eventually, it's time to start. We pick up our instruments, we start playing. And at last minute, the whole family walks through the door. Both her and I are so excited, but we're just losing our place. We're making mistakes in the music and the worship, trying to find and regain control quickly. And she was just beaming the whole service. And I was actually so surprised. I mean, I'd prayed for it, but I was still so pumped when it actually happened. And it was just amazing what God did. They actually ended up staying the whole Christmas Eve, had dinner, they had to quickly and prompt to go get ingredients and presents and things. They had this, this awesome reunion as a family. And I, even though it wasn't my family, it wasn't my story, I felt like I was a part of it. I was invited into it. And I know that it was God who made it happen, not me, because I really couldn't have made that happen. But I just thought, wow, wow, God, if I pray, I can, I can help people in this way. What a privilege. I loved it. It was just such a faith-building exercise for me. It is such a privilege to be the friend that someone else comes and asks for help. Because then you get to go and do the knocking, and then you just get to witness God providing. And it really builds your faith as well. I really hope that now you are feeling pumped. I hope you're thinking, Krista, I'm in. I want to do this intercessory prayer thing. But maybe you're also thinking, but I don't know exactly how to do it. And that's okay. Don't worry about it. Because whenever we think we're not sure how to do something, we can always look at Jesus's example. So let's have a look now. I've kind of gathered some things about how Jesus prayed. First thing is that Jesus prayed often and without ceasing. He showed perseverance. He prayed simply and just out of love for others. Your prayers don't have to be long and elaborate. Think of yourself like that little girl just coming to her dad in the throne room at the feet of your loving father and just talking to him about one of your friends who's in needs and asking him to help. Just full of faith, ask your dad to help out a stranger. Jesus also prayed in humility and with eyes on God alone. He prayed in faith and for the will of God. We see Jesus praying like this, for the will of God. And I think this is really an important point. We see that how he prayed that way during his excruciating prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his um, crucifixion. We see Jesus, he stayed up all night praying. He really showed that perseverance, that long suffering and prayer. At one stage, he even says, God, remove this cup. And God said no to that. He didn't remove the cup. Why? Because he had something better planned. He had the salvation of all of mankind planned. 
And we also see that Jesus knew this because he quickly follows it with, not my will, but yours be done. What an epic example to us of how to pray. We can so easily come to God with our agenda, our sort of grocery list of what we want. And even if it's intercessory, can you do this for this person, this for this person, amen. And I just think it's such a powerful thing to look at how Jesus did it when praying for something. He said, what is God's will in this situation? How will the answering of this prayer advance the kingdom? I've noticed when I've started doing this in my own prayer life that what happens is sometimes the original thing I was praying for, I feel like maybe I change it a bit or I don't want to pray for that as much, but rather something else when I think considered in light of the kingdom building. Sometimes considering the kingdom and what God's will is makes me think, wow, I really need to pray for this. It makes it more urgent. So I think that's really a wonderful thing that we can take from Jesus. Pray a lot. Pray simply with faith and in the will of God. My friends, at the end of the day, the awesome truth is that God is looking for intercessors. There is a world out there with their needs dependent and waiting to be helped by our prayers. There's also this God in heaven with all the resources. He has sufficient supply waiting to be asked. And then there's us, the church. We all have the same wonderful calling and the sure promise. All we need to do is step into action. And I don't want you to now feel bogged down by this and think, oh, it's another thing that I have to add onto my to-do list. I should pray more for this person. The best part of it is that we cannot and we don't need to do it on our own. It's actually an overflow thing. It's actually a lifestyle thing. Romans 8 verse 26 to 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We are empowered to do this through the Holy Spirit inside of us. Intercession is this beautiful overflow of what Jesus has actually done for us. Before, we were separated from God, cut off through our sin from access to the one person who can actually meet all of our needs. We had this neighbor next door, but we couldn't speak to him because we were broken and sinful. Who were we to come before this holy God and bring our requests? In the Old Testament, you'll see how people would offer, have to offer sacrifices and go through the Levites and go through all sorts of things to bring their requests and ask the God for help. But that changed because God, out of his deep desire to have an open relationship with us, he sent down to earth the ultimate intercessor, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth. He picked up all of our burdens and our problems and our sins and he put them on himself. And then he died that death for us. He took them down with him. Then he rose again with hope, answer to prayer. That Sunday came. And then he was brought, taken up into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And Romans 8 verse 34 tells us what he does there at the right hand of God every day. He intercedes for us. This means that for the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been sitting there on the right hand of God, 
speaking to him about you and me. That means his ministry on earth was actually short compared to the time of prayer ministry, this intercession, intercession ministry that he does. If you're listening to the sermon right now and you know Jesus as your savior, I want to tell you it's because Jesus has been saying your name to God way before you were born. And if you're looking from the, from the outside and just curious, I want to tell you, Right now, Jesus is also speaking your name to God. He longs for a deep relationship with you. He wants you to draw near to him, to speak to him, tell him about your needs and your problems. And he's able to help you. Because of God's great love for us and because of Jesus's amazing sacrifice, we now have 24-7 access to the King of Kings. We can just walk right into his presence and just tell him our heart's desires. And he will, out of that wonderful love, just like a father to his children, he will listen and grant us those desires. He sees our suffering and the suffering of our friends and family and neighbors and just the world. And he cares deeply. Let us bring our requests before God. So with Jesus backing us and the Holy Spirit guiding us and the loving and listening ear of the all-powerful God, let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you today acknowledging your glory and great power. You are the King of Kings, the maker of the universe. You are a God of great love and compassion. Jesus, thank you for making a way for us so that we could approach the Father. Thank you that we can now boldly enter into his presence. Thank you for putting this desire to pray for others in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, thank you for leading us and to guiding us on how to do it. Lord, we confess that there have been many things that have been holding us back from praying. Forgive us for when we have turned away from a need or when we've relied on our own strength to fill it. Lord, forgive us our unbelief. Lord, hold nothing back and let nothing hold us back. Give us your heart and compassion for others. May we see the needs around us through your eyes and with our hearts on you alone. Lord, help us to refuse to rest until we see your kingdom come on earth. Put in us a fire to take on this important ministry of intercession. Lord, make us into a church who prays so that we may see people encouraged and your name be glorified in the answering of prayer. We ask this in your name. Amen.